For this morning's scripture reading, we will be reading from Proverbs chapter 5. The whole chapter says, verses 1 through 23. Proverbs 5, starting in verse 1. If you're using a Bible in the chair rack, that should be on page 530. My son, be attentive to my, wit- my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander and she does not know it. O now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of, your, in your, of youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with d- delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of, of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of, dis- of, for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. All right, thank you, Andrew. Well, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Proverbs chapter 5. Um, one... One week from tomorrow, Shelley and I are planning to leave for vacation to celebrate 40 years of marriage. Now, I, I can remember when I thought just being 40 was like really, really old. And here we are celebrating a marriage of 40 years. It really is quite amazing to me. Um, I've thought that maybe as we make this journey east, we should put a sign in the back of our car in great big letters that says, just married, and down below in smaller letters put, just 40 years ago. Um, And in all honesty, it really seems like we were just married not long ago. I can remember like it was yesterday when I was first introduced to Shelley, it was at Bluffton College, it was in October of 1982. It was after a 
Chuck Gerard concert on campus. I was a new Christian at the time, and I was just beginning to learn and grow in my relationship with Christ. And I'm still growing, but I was just learning. And Shelly had been a Christian for a couple of years by this time, and we met in October, but we really didn't see each other. We didn't interact with each other much until our first date in January of 1983. And we were then married 11 months later. And I can say I wholeheartedly agree with Proverbs 18.22, 18.22, which says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Shelley is indeed a gift of undeserved favor to me from God. Marriage is a good gift of companionship. Marriage is God's gracious tool of progressive sanctification. Marriage is an opportunity to experience and to reflect the love and fidelity that Christ has for his bride, the church. I I am indeed thankful to God for my wife. Now, Marriage is a good gift, but it is not the ultimate gift. God is the ultimate gift. And one of the reasons why Shelly and I met in October and we didn't have our first date until January was because I was a brand new Christian and I was just beginning to learn the need that I have to have a right relationship with God more than I needed a wife. Um, I, I, I confess, I really wanted a wife, but God was teaching me that I needed him first and foremost. That, that was true in 1983, and it's still true today. Now, I also want to acknowledge this morning that some of you here maybe long to be married, but are still single. Um, Some of you may have or are experiencing gut-wrenching pain of a broken marriage. And if that is where you find yourself today, I, I want you to know that Jesus promises to be enough for you. Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus promises, I will never leave you or forsake you. You you are not alone. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 16, 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, marriage is a good gift, but thankfully, God is the ultimate gift. And we would never know God as the ultimate gift without the gospel. A single life or married life could never be what God wants us to be without the gospel. God sent his son, 
Jesus Christ to the cross to save sinners so that we can know Him as the greatest good in the universe. The, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus make it possible for us to have a life filled with His mercy and His grace and His love and His faithfulness. As Shelley and I celebrate 40 years of marriage, we, we are and we will do so celebrating God and all of the blessings that He has given to us in Christ. We, we are indeed undeserving recipients of His lavish favor in our life. We, we can only say to God be the glory, great things He has done. Now, because marriage is God's good design, we should not be surprised to see it under attack by Satan. The evil one's attacks on marriage come in many different forms. Some people have given up on marriage uh, completely and just lived together without a commitment or a covenant. And if it doesn't work out, it's no big deal. We can just move on. Also, God says marriage is between one man and one woman, but sinful man has found ways to now make it legal to, to have same-sex marriages. We also see how the love of self has become a huge challenge for marriage. Sinful man says, if you don't make me happy, I'll find someone who will. When all the while God equips us and calls us in Christ to give of ourselves sacrificially and joyfully for the good of our spouse. So, so marriage is under attack in many different ways, but maybe the one of the biggest attacks on marriage is in the area of sexual immorality and adultery, and that's what we want to talk about today. Proverbs 5 gives us wisdom. Here in this passage, we're we're taught wisdom to fight against sexual immorality and to fight for marriage. So, so far in Proverbs, uh, in our study in Proverbs, we've learned that wisdom is the ability that God gives to us to make godly choices. Uh, we, we have learned that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. We have learned that Wisdom is a person, and that person is Jesus. Jesus is wisdom to us from God. We, we need Jesus and all that He gives if there's any hope of us learning to be wise. Jesus teaches us and empowers us to be wise. Wisdom involves listening to and following Jesus and being empowered by Jesus, living in the strength that He and He alone provides. And so, in light of that, we come to verses 1 and 2, and we learn again that we must listen. Wisdom teaches you to see life as God wants you to see it. And God does that here through a wise father teaching his son. Verse 1 and 2 say, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. So when, when you learn wisdom, you will keep discretion, which means that wisdom will keep you from harm. 
Jesus will, will keep you from harm. You will be kept away from those things that would bring ruin in your life. And also, as the end of verse 2 says, with wisdom your lips may guard knowledge. Now, at first, this seems a bit odd, but when you remember what we learned in chapter 4, I think this makes perfect sense. In chapter 4, we learned that words are an overflow of the heart. So what is in your heart comes out of your mouth. Wisdom instructs your heart so that you will give good answers and responses to the forbidden woman who wants to seduce you with her words. Yes, the wise father wants to prepare his son to not be seduced by the forbidden woman. We, we see that in verses 3-6. through six. Here wisdom says to the son, Beware! Wisdom teaches you to see that the forbidden woman is appealing, but in fact, deadly. Uh, listen to what the wise father says to his son. Verse 3, For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life, her ways wander in she does not know it. So notice that we're talking about here the forbidden woman, a stranger, someone the son should not be with, a person who has no problem committing adultery. Uh, later on in this passage, the father exhorts his son to rejoice in the wife of his youth. So maybe the son is already married or... Maybe the father is preparing his son for the kinds of things that he'll face in life, even as an adult, which I think is probably more likely here. The father wants his son to be equipped to live all of life in a way that is godly, reflecting the character of Christ for the praise of God's glory, and, and to do that with the very strength that he and he alone provides. And so he says, beware of the forbidden woman. But it's not just women who can be aggressive in going after men. Men can also be aggressive in going after women. The context of this passage is a father teaching his son, but it could be a father and a mother also teaching their daughter. It could go either way. Daughters must also be aware of the forbidden man. But sticking with the language of this text, notice that the forbidden woman wants to seduce you with her words. Her words drip with honey and are smoother than oil. Uh, she says things that you love to hear. Her words make you feel good about yourself. She compliments you. She praises you. She says things to you that nobody else says, and it feels so good to hear those words of adm admiration. You begin to have a connection with her. She understands you. She listens to you. She makes you feel good. It's just innocent conversation, you think. You, you like it. You look for it more and more. You begin to share your heart with her. You confide in her. You, you tell her things that you haven't told anyone else. Her, 
Her words are music to your ears. And before you know it, she hooks you with her seductive words, her flattering and persuasive words. Now, we're told here that the forbidden woman is very appealing, but in the end, the text says she is bitter as wormwood. Uh, Her words are sharp and cut like a two-edged sword. Notice that what started as sweeter than honey ends up being extremely bitter, disappointing. You want to spit it out of your mouth, but it's too late. You have that bitter taste in your mouth. What, What felt so good and right at the beginning ends up cutting your soul and injuring you to the core. But what seemed like the life that you've always dreamt of having ends up leading you to Sheol or the place of the dead. The forbidden woman, the adulteress, the one you should not be with seems so right at the beginning, but in the end, you will experience brokenness and ruin and in fact, death. So the wise father says to his son, beware of the forbidden woman who seems so appealing but leads you to death. So the wise father wants to prepare his son or his daughter to value and protect marriage or to wait for marriage, prepare for marriage. So don't be led astray by another man or woman who is not your husband or wife, beware. It can start with words that sound so good, but in the end, it will not end well. In fact, the Father says, not just beware, but stay away. Wisdom teaches you that avoiding the forbidden woman spares you from from ruin. Look at verse 7. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your ways far from her, and do not... Go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So, uh, once again, the wise father urges his son to listen to his words. Don't depart from my words. Let me ask you, why, why does the father have to repeat this exhortation so many times? I mean, again and again so far throughout Proverbs, we hear the father pleading with the son, Listen to my words. Be attentive to my words. Don't forget my words. Why is that? Why so often? Well, there are probably a number of different reasons, but could it also be that the son thinks that the words taught by the father are indeed true? That he thinks that they are good? But maybe he also thinks that he doesn't really need them. The son thinks, I'll be okay. I know what I'm doing. I can spend time with a forbidden woman, but I'll know when to walk away. Could it be that the son overestimates his ability to resist the seduction of the forbidden woman? 
Could, could it be that the son doesn't understand the powerful and seductive sin, how, how powerful and seductive sin can really be? Could, could it be that the son really, in fact, likes, likes being with the forbidden woman? And yeah, he knows that he shouldn't be with her, but he thinks, I, I'll just be careful. I won't, I won't get too close. The wise father pleads with his son, keep your way far from her. Do not go near her house. In other words, don't, don't think that you can play with fire and not get burnt. Don't think that you can look but not touch. The more you look, the more you will want to touch. Have you ever watched a cooking show and gotten really hungry? It happens to me all the time. So avoid the forbidden woman. Stay far from her. The more you look at a menu, the hungrier you get. So when, when we talk about staying away from the forbidden woman, and we also have to talk about staying away from pornography. The, the idea that just looking won't hurt you just is not true. For, for one thing, Jesus makes it very plain that when you lust in your heart, you're guilty of adultery. For another thing, pornography is highly addictive. It, it will take you further than you ever thought you would go. It, it will distort your view of women who are created as image bearers of God. And it will turn you into a selfish monster. Viewing pornography as a young man is sin against God and it can cause all sorts of problems for a future marriage. The the wise father continues to plead with his son to listen and to not depart from his words because if you don't listen, you will set yourself up to experience all kinds of ruin. Guilt, shame, loss of reputation, broken relationships, lots of loss of good, godly opportunities, lack of trust, and ultimately, if you don't repent, judgment by God and death. Verse 11 through 14 again say it, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised Reproof. I mean, you can almost hear the son crying out when he's facing the consequences. How, how, how could I be so stupid and naive? Verse 13, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. So, listen to wisdom. Don't Resist the Spirit's discipline and correction. Beware. Beware of the forbidden woman. Stay away. Don't go near the forbidden woman. These are two important ways to handle sexual temptation. But there is a third way to handle sexual temptation, and it's much more positive in nature. It's this. Be thankful. Wisdom teaches you to see your own spouse or future spouse as God's 
perfect provision. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? So what, what is being described here is what should take place between a husband and a wife in the covenant of marriage. Not before marriage, but as a husband and wife after their wedding day. What, what God intends for a husband and wife to enjoy is just for them. It's not to be shared with others. Marriage requires fidelity to one another and to Christ. Marriage is built upon a shared commitment faithful and loyal to one another. God intends a husband and wife to be devoted to one another alone, to be trustworthy. And so as verses 15 through 20 teach us, within the marriage relationship, sex is not a dirty word. It is a holy thing. Outside of marriage, sexual relations are sinful. Within marriage, God has given to the husband and wife the ability to bring pleasure to their spouse. That kind of love glorifies God. It's not selfish. It's not demanding. It's giving for the other's good and for God's glory. God intends a husband and wife to be completely satisfied with their spouse. God intends for a husband and wife to enjoy one another. God wants a husband and wife to fully enjoy each other relationally and physically. God says, rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be intoxicated with her love. Um, the theological word book of the Old Testament says this about intoxicated in this context. It's an interesting word. And here's, here's what we read about this word in this context. And I quote, It describes how sheep get lost. They nibble their way to lostness. End of quote. So a husband and wife are to enjoy each other so much that they get lost in their love for one another. So God wants a husband and wife to love one another and to work at loving one another. Uh, 1 Peter 3.7 teaches a man to cherish his wife. Men, do your wives know that you cherish them? Do you rejoice in the wife of your youth? Are you intoxicated with her love. If you are intoxicated with your spouse's love, what, why would you want to go anywhere else? And if you are thankful to God for the spouse that He has given you, it 
helps drive away the temptation for sexual immorality. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead, let there be thanksgiving. Isn't that interesting? Uh, You put off lying and you put on truth-telling. You put off stealing and you put on beginning to work with your hands so you have something to give to the poor. You put off bitterness by putting on forgiveness. And you put off sexual immorality by putting on thankfulness. A, A heart full of thankfulness to God for what He has given to you and for where He has you in life at the moment protects you from lusting after something that does not belong to you. Now, listen to the warning that comes from Ephesians 5, verse 5. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. When we, when we hear this passage talk about empty words, what does that make you think of? It makes me think of the words spoken by the forbidden woman that drip with honey. Verse 6 continues, For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Again, I would say beware. Stay away and be thankful to God. If If you are single and not married, you are not alone. God is with you. He loves you. He is faithful to you. You have every reason to have a heart overflowing with thankfulness because God is the ultimate gift in life. If you are married... Your spouse is not the ultimate gift God is. You too have every reason to be thankful to God for His blessings in your life, and that includes the spouse that He has given to you. In God's sovereignty, your spouse is not an accident. That doesn't mean that marriage is always easy. It does mean that God wants you to be the spouse that He has called you to be with your eyes fixed first and foremost on Christ, not on your spouse. Christ must be the most important person in your life, not your spouse. And when Christ is first and foremost, you will also have a willingness to be faithful to your spouse. So what I'm trying to say in the context of Proverbs 5 is this. When you face problems in your marriage, don't run to a new spouse. Run to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Sexual immorality and adultery won't make your life 
better. Only the faithfulness of a Savior caring for you will. Now, verses 21 and 23 in this chapter by giving us one final word. It's this, aware. Wisdom teaches you that God sees what is done in secret and that unrepentant sin brings death. Listen to verse 21. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all of his paths. You you can't hide from God. You can never ever say no one will know because God knows. God sees. Always. And if you are guilty of sexual immorality or adultery, you must repent and seek God's forgiveness. You must run to Christ, broken over your sin, crying out for mercy, and seeking God's forgiveness. This summer, we studied uh, the life of David on Wednesday nights, and David, as you know, was guilty David was commended in the New Testament as being a man after God's own heart. And yet, um, God didn't hide the fact that David was guilty of committing adultery. He was guilty of murder to cover up his adultery. But when he was confronted by the Lord because of his sin, David repented and experienced God's forgiveness Listen to Psalm 51, uh, first 12 verses, and this articulates the, the prayer of David after God confronted him. Um, David says this in Psalm 51, verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 1, 9. It says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a gracious and merciful promise for sinners. But this passage also says if you refuse to repent and if you don't 
confess your sins to God. Listen to verses 22 and 23. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. That, that is a sober warning. God, God gives us this warning here in Proverbs 5 because he is for marriage and he is against sexual immorality. Now, in, in summary, let's, let's just think about what does wisdom teach us? What does Jesus teach us? Well, if you're young or not married, God wants you to live a holy life, and that includes avoiding sexual immorality, and that includes you loving God with all of your heart. If you are married, God also wants you to be holy and to avoid sexual immorality. God wants you to love God with all of your heart and be faithful to the marriage covenant with your spouse. Uh, we've, we have talked about the need for God's children to avoid sexual immorality and adultery. But can I mention one other thing as we close? Proverbs 5 does teach us how to live in proper relationship with other people and our spouse or future spouse in particular. But if you remember from previous chapters here in Proverbs, we've, been, we've learned that wisdom is personified as lady wisdom. And because of that, Proverbs 5 also calls us to avoid spiritual adultery. When God saves us, He brings us into a covenant relationship with Him. And God calls us to be faithful and loyal and devoted to Him and to Him alone. We, we must beware of anything or anyone who might seduce us away from Christ. We must stay away from idols. We must be thankful to God for all that He has given to us in Christ, knowing that He has given to us all that we need for life and godliness. We have every good thing in Christ. We, we need no other. We, we need no other. When problems in life come, don't run to an idol. Run, run to Jesus. There is no better place to be than with Jesus. He is faithful and He is at work in the lives of His children to keep you faithful also. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful. We are thankful to you for Jesus. We're thankful that he is faithful when we are not faithful. We're thankful that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you provide a way for us to be forgiven. And you provide a way to defeat the power of sin in us. So we just want to say thank you. We praise you for Jesus. 
And Father, we're also thankful that you, through Jesus, teach us wisdom. Jesus is wisdom for us from you. And we're thankful that Jesus teaches us to be faithful to you. Jesus teaches us to beware of and to stay away from sexual immorality. We're thankful that Jesus teaches us to be thankful for the spouse that you've blessed us with, if you have have blessed us with a spouse. We're thankful that you are enough to satisfy our hearts, whether we are single or married. Father, we are a people that are richly blessed. You've given to us what we don't deserve, what we have not earned. You've You've poured out the punishment that we deserve on your son Jesus. He took it fully for us, and you give us forgiveness. You count us as righteous, and you faithfully work in our lives to teach us to be faithful to the life that you've called us. Help us, Father, to live in step with your spirit, which would be for our good for the good of this church and for the glory of your great name. And we'll thank you for the way that you'll work. In Jesus' name, amen.